Okay, today's episode is one of my favorites, and it's also one of the longest podcast episodes I've ever recorded because everything that Melissa Reeves has to say is just gold, and I'm not going to edit out a thing. I'm going to leave it all in there because there's so much richness in this episode and so much beauty and and pain and wisdom that Melissa shares that I just Oh, so excited for you to hear this and to hear her story and to hear what she's doing in the world with her company, Mother Birth. And whether you are a mother or not, this episode is going to be incredible for all of us. I learned so much. I took so many notes. So if you can, I recommend maybe sitting down for this one and having some paper ready I know a lot of you listen to the podcast when you're in the car or when you're doing dishes or on the treadmill, but I recommend sitting down with this one because there is so much good stuff. And especially as we get into talking about moon cycles and how your menstrual cycle can actually bring about a holistic peace and success and really connect you with your body, and also help you to leverage your cycle to level up, whether that's in your business, in your life, in your confidence, in your femininity, your story. It just, reconnecting to that is so crucial, and I love how Melissa talks about it. So Melissa Reeves, and I go way back, she was my first roommate when I moved back to Portland about 13 years ago. And I moved in with her and her husband, Chase, in this big, beautiful house, and we called it Fort McReeves, and it was great. And I lived there, oh, goodness, I don't even remember how many years I lived with them. But they have just been such a a power couple for me as I've been watching them over the last decade, weather, so many challenges, so like have so many successes. Chase Reeves is actually one of the founding members of fizzle.co, which is an incredible resource for entrepreneurs and people that are starting up their business. And that is actually how I met Steph Crowder, who also does guest appearances on The Fizzle Show, which is a podcast. And Steph Crowder is the very first business coach that I worked with, and she was the one that suggested I start a podcast. So it all comes full circle with this interview, especially as we're creeping up on a hundred episodes, like this one just means a lot to me. And I am so excited for you to hear everything that Melissa has to say. So Melissa is an intuitive motherhood coach, a holistic doula, a sacred ceremonialist, mother to two earthlings, three angels, and the oldest of 10 kids. Like, my only child brain has never been able to comprehend what it would be like to have nine siblings, let alone be the oldest of all of them. Crazy. She's also an Enneagram type one, so if you're into the Enneagram, that's her type, and that is a powerhouse number right there. So I'm so excited for you to be able to experience Melissa. You can find her over at motherbirth.co, and yeah, let's... Let's do this thing. Let's dive in to this interview with Melissa Reeves. I have Melissa Reeves on the show today, and 
Melissa, as you heard in her intro, is just a powerhouse of a woman. And I just have so much respect for her and for her mission and what she's doing in the world. And I make no guarantees that we get through this with zero tears, at least not <laughs> that's, on my that's end. Likely. <laughs> Seriously, I already feel it like coming up for me. So we're just gonna we're just gonna go. But Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, did you find me on Craigslist perchance? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually how we met, you know, 12 years ago or whatever it was on Craigslist when we became roommates. It's true. It's so true. Okay. So that's the funny story is I was going to move to Portland and I needed somewhere to live. And I looked on Craigslist and found Melissa and Chase and they were like, Hey, we're moving to Portland. Do you want to come live with us? And I was like, sure. So we had never met. And I just showed up on your doorstep yep. and it was like, hi, Rumi. I know. It's and so I, I'm the first of how many roommates do you estimate that you've had in the last 12 years? Well, we did a, we did a tally at one point and it was like in the twenties. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but we have always had people live with us and sometimes multiple people live with us. And the most recent evolution of that is that we now live in intentional community and we live in a house with another family. Um, so now like the roommate count is just skyrocketing. Now we, we've thought about doing like a roommate reunion and just like, we'd have to rent a venue, (laughs) (laughs) but it's so amazing. It's just so good. And now everyone has kids and, you know, so it'd be like a wedding. I think you should. If only for the sheer fact of like, I'm, I'm the first. Number one right you, here. You are number one. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay. I'm really curious. And I know that some of my listeners are going to be too. Tell us more about intentional community. What is this? Yeah. Well, it's. It's very interesting. It can look so many different ways. And there's, no, you know, intentional community is just people living intentionally and with awareness of how we impact our environments and our communities and choosing to to live in a way that really um, uses and, and relies on mutual support. So that can look so many different ways. There's no like, oh, this is intentional mm-hmm. community and that's not. Like you can have intentional community in your neighborhood you know, within your church community, you know, with your best friends, with whatever. Um, For us, what that looks like is we live in a house um, in Ocean Beach, San Diego, California, with another family. So there's two families that live in this house and we share, you know, the, the entire home. It's not like, it's not a duplex, you know, where we live upstairs and they live downstairs. We really totally share this house. Um, for us, that looks like sharing most of our meals. Um, it looks like, wow. you know, sh- sharing childcare and, and you know, day-to-day life. We also live in within a couple blocks of um, some other families that are part of this community with us. And so there's a whole whack of kids between all of our families. And we spend a lot of time wow. together. Um, we have a big front yard. And so it's like you know, there can be anywhere from 15 to 25 kids in our yard. It's pretty amazing. And I grew up in a really big family. I'm the oldest of 10 kids. And so I, I love having a lot of people around. Um, I'm also on a journey of learning how I need to take space and why I need to take space and, mm-hmm. and making that um, possible for myself. Cause that's not something that I ever really understood about myself or 
new, you know, or prioritized in any way. So it's this beautiful season of both being more immersed in community and surrounded by people than I've ever been. Um, but also learning how to really support myself in that experience. Oh, I love that. And I love this journey of taking space. Cause I I imagine between being in such a large family and then, you know, having a relationship, getting married and then having roommates for so many Mm -hmm. years and then kids space isn't something that has been readily available to you. It hasn't definitely not. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've everything in my life I've made about community, you know, the businesses I've started, I've started with, you know, with friends, with collaborators. Um, I've always, you know, felt awkward in my own home if there weren't other people around, you know, Mm. I, I love, I love getting together with my big family and, you know, I, I just, I genuinely love being surrounded by people. And so that can be an interesting dynamic when it actually shields you from some of your own inner needs that, you know, kind of get absorbed into this social need that you have. That's totally legitimate. I legitimately love being around people, you know? And so mm-hmm. th- then it becomes the both and like, I love that. And right. And I need to go inside and recharge and mm-hmm. connect with myself and all of those good things. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And it's been, it's been such a, um, a journey over years that this, you know, that this has happened. And I think kids take, you know, energetically take this whole thing to another level where they actually rely on your body to live, which is, you know, both a, um, uh, feature and a, and a flaw of nature. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and a beautiful, you know, a beautiful experience, but you, you know, you often many, many women, and, and I found this to be true over the years in my work with women, many women get, you know, some number of years into motherhood and realize like, I don't even know who I am. Yes. Like I am just mother. I am just mm. boobs, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I had a funny joke about that, but I'll just keep it. Quiet. Keep um, it inside. Don't keep it inside. I'm going to. Just, I was just thinking boobs to all involved, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. All involved. Like, that's that's it. But it it is. Yeah, I hear that all the time. Like, mm-hmm. who am I? What do I want? What what do I think about myself? Like, what? How do I feel in my body? How do my emotions feel? And a lot of the work that I get to do is connecting women with their emotions. Right. And helping raise that awareness. And it sounds like that that is also similar to what you've been doing, especially when it, in regards to motherhood. So would you, would you mind sharing your story of motherhood with us? Yeah, totally. Because you have such a, and this is where I'm going to just lose it, but you have such an incredible story and I just, I would be honored if you would mind sharing it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I love sharing my story because it's so central to who I am and and the work that I do in the world now, and and how I I have been able to heal and become a whole person. You know what? You know that that's that's a big concept there. But um, I, my oldest son is ten years old. He just turned ten this summer, and he is like a little man. And when he was born, um, he just his name means fiery one and you know that's kind of the ironic piece where it's like did we cause this or what you know (laughs) I mean he just was born in flames like 
you know, mm-hmm. from, from the minute he was born, it was just, um, there was so much, it, it took so much to, to just be with him. And, and a lot of that was because of my own lack of understanding of what the transformation of motherhood really was. And yes. I grew up in a really big family like I mentioned, and the oldest of 10 kids. And I kind of thought I had this shit on lockdown. Sorry, are we saying words like that on the show? Sure, we're doing it. You'll just have to put explicit. You'll just have to mark it explicit in iTunes. Okay. Um, So I really just was like, I got this. You know, I know how to like change. I've changed more diapers already in my life than I could change of my own kids if I tried. Um, And I didn't understand that it wasn't really about changing diapers. Like Mm. that's just not even what motherhood is. Right. And, and the transformation that we go through the identity transformation that we go through is, is so powerful and it requires surrender. And that's something I did not understand. Um, and so those first months, weeks and months and years of motherhood for me were so, so turbulent. And I, I, I suffered from pretty extreme postpartum anxiety. I was a total wreck. I, you know, just didn't even know how to do it. I was really just in survival mode. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and that was true in our family in general. My husband was also in survival mode and we were just kind of getting by. Um, and for me, that season didn't really end. I didn't, mm. it's not like, you know, we hit the six month mark and I was like, Oh, things feel lighter we, you know, it just kind of kept going and, and there was yeah. so much about it that was like a pattern that we were just stuck in, you know, like yeah. ways of responding to each other. And, you know, in my partnership with my husband and in our relationship with our son, and, mm-hmm. um, we really wanted to like not have just one kid, but we were also like, this is so hard. How could we possibly do this again? You know? Yeah. And so when Aiden was, um, uh, three and a half, we were like, we're, we're just going to do it. It's, you know, who knows what this will be, but we're going to do it. Yeah. And, um, we really just did, you know, we wanted to have him to have a sibling and that was a huge motivator in that decision. And, and I don't advocate for or against that as a deciding factor. I think that that's so personal, but, um, I think we got pregnant with our second son and that pregnancy was this re- really interesting mix for me of still, I, I was actually, my, my anxiety with Aiden, my oldest was the most heightened it had ever been since he was probably an infant. Mm. Um, he and I were like in it wow, <laughs> in such an intense way. Yeah. Um, and yet I was experiencing pregnancy in this very different way than I had experienced the first time I felt really connected to my body. I felt really aware of, um, how I wanted to cultivate connection, you know, with this baby, um, the kinds of choices I was preparing for in birth. Um, it just felt, it felt really different. And I, and I actually felt really confused by this dichotomous experience I was having of really struggling with my relationship with my older son and feeling so connected to this baby that, that I was growing that I actually felt a lot of guilt about it. And I felt a lot of worry that, you know, my son would be born and it would be so obvious to my older son that, you know, this baby and I had this great connection. And I, and Mm. I just like, I felt tormented by that because it just felt like, you know, that's not what I want, but I just didn't, I felt helpless to, to change that. I didn't know, you know, I was so stuck where I was. And, and so the, um, what, 
as we as we got towards um, our due date with our second son, uh, that feeling really really heightened, and I was in a pretty pretty difficult place in those final weeks. Um, I went into labor with my son. He was he was overdue, and we were planning to have a birth center birth. And um, I'd had my you know my midwife that morning check on everything, and she swept my membranes to get labor going. Um, if anyone here, you know, we don't have to get into those details, but, um, so I went into labor that day and we, you know, kind of labored at home throughout the day and things were just kind of slow and easy. And, um, around midnight, we decided to go to the birth center because it was like, okay, now, now I'm feeling like it's, it's getting harder to cope. So we, we headed out. And when we got there, um, my midwife couldn't find the baby's heartbeat. And so that kind of started this flurry of activity um, of both, you know, first feeling like, oh, there's just a problem. It's just, you know, it's just like an error of the, you know, the equipment isn't working correctly or, you know, the baby's just in a funky position and you're, you know, you're kind of rationalizing what's happening. And then it quickly shifted to like, oh no, this is not, this is not an equipment failure. We're like headed to the hospital, which was right around the corner. And we did, and, you know, still hoping like, oh, it's just, a, you know, it's, we're going to get there and everything's going to be fine. You know, we got there and everything was not fine. And that was the moment for me. I was laying on that bed in triage and I remember standing in my mind on the edge of this cliff and knowing I could go over this edge, not come back. And I stood there and I knew that that's not what I wanted. Mm. And I stepped back from the edge of that cliff and I decided to surrender to what was happening. And there's, you know, there's so much more in that story of like all of the things that happened and all of the feelings and all of the thoughts between, you know, realizing what was happening in that moment. But I stepped back from the edge of that cliff and I decided to surrender. And one of the, one of the really powerful things about that experience was that in my first labor with my older son, I had a 56 hour labor that was just like, you know, one of the most like, this went wrong, this went wrong, this went wrong, you know, this wasn't working, your body's broken, this this is terrible. You know, I pushed for four and a half hours, they had to, you know, pull them out with a vacuum. Like, I mean, everything but a C-section and like this close to a C-section, you know, and just left you with that feeling of like, I am, I don't work. Like my body mm. wasn't made for this, which was such a shock to me because clearly my mother's body was made for it. So what's wrong with me, you know? Mm. And, and this experience of preparing for birth so differently for my second son had, had really increased my confidence, but I was still like, you know, you know, uncertain, like, what's it going to be like in the moment? Like, am I, am I made for this? Can I do this? And then we're like standing on this brink of, you know, utter despair. And, you know, like, how do you keep moving forward in that knowing, like, what is this for? Like, how do you go into the process of birth? knowing there's nothing on the other side, right? That's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I realized in that moment that this was, this was the way my son needed to come and, and to allow, allow him to come and allow this to be our story together. Um, And at the point at which, you know, this kind of 
we were, you know, we're at the hospital and, and everything had slowed down. My labor had completely stopped and they were telling me, you know, it's going to take days. Like we'll have to, you know, we'll have to induce you. And, you know, it takes a long time with stillbirth. And I, um, I just remembered being in that first birth and it being days. And I was like, so days plus days, is that what you're saying? You know? Mm. And it, the, the most powerful thing happened. I made that, I made that decision to step back from that edge and to surrender. And my son was born five hours later. Wow. And it was the most peaceful, beautiful, connecting experience of my life. And I had never imagined that, that I could trust my body, you know, again, from, from that first birth experience. And in certainly in this moment of grief and, and despair, um, feeling so, so disconnected from that, that trust. Right. And yet that's exactly what came through. And that's exactly what the gift of Roland's birth was, was that I knew that I was, that my body knew what it was doing and that I, that I could trust my body. Um, and so that experience was the beginning for me of, of healing everything in my life. And so, you know, there was obviously so much related to just that grief and that pain and the season that followed of just being with that. Um, but what it was is it was an invitation to healing my relationship with my son, my, my older son. It was an invitation to healing my relationship with myself, with my body. It was an invitation to healing my relationship with my mother. It was an invitation to healing my relationship with my partner. Everything in my life was ready, like had been ready to be healed. And this was the catalyst for that to happen. And so um, that was six years ago, this summer he was born. Mm-hmm. And it's been, it's been like, you know, a six year journey and I'm still on it. I'll still, I'll be on it for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first gift was really the restoration of my relationship with my older son. And I remember in those days thinking like, I'm just going to have to endure this relationship. I'm just going to have to like make it through and hope not to like screw it up super badly. And like, hopefully he goes to college someday, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, I mean, I, those were not subconscious thoughts. Those were conscious thoughts. That's how, you know, how, that's how I felt about it. And I now have the most vibrant, beautiful, connected relationship with him. Uh, we, we've been through plenty of ups and downs, but we, are just so deeply connected and mm. I'm so grateful for, for that. Um, yeah. I have another daughter who was born two and a half years ago on Valentine's day, my little, my little medicine baby. Um, and mm. she, you know, she was born peacefully at home. Um, just a total gift to us, a total cherry on top as they say. Um, and she is medicine and she knows it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. she's beautiful. She's yeah, so she beautiful. Is. I mean, you both make great looking kids. I will just say that. They're yeah. gorgeous. Thank you. They have your eyes, just these big brown eyes that are just beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. She's oh. very beautiful. She's her spirit is um it's hard to describe. Like she I just I just say that she's medicine and she knows it. Mm, yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. <sighs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I know that there are 
I know of at least five people listening right now who have also experienced the loss of a child. And I know that this is going to speak so much to them. And I just love how you've been able to to practice this healing Mm. in your life and how this journey has taken you from such a different place from, you know, doing real estate into now doing this completely 100% different journey and path. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about like that transition into what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, after Rowan was born, I was still in real estate. And over the three years following his birth, I just became increasingly discontent with doing that. And I had begun writing while I was pregnant with Rowan. After he was born, I did a lot of writing about grief and loss. I started working with women and doing just some coaching and, and just support of other women who had experienced loss. Um, but I was still I was still selling real estate. I owned a real estate company with a couple of partners in Portland, and it was really successful. And I was really busy. And I just became increasingly dissatisfied. I just didn't want to be doing it anymore. I kept telling myself, like, I'll do this and I'll also do these other things I want to do. And it just, you know, there wasn't enough of me to go around. And I understand so much more now about why that is and about how we actually hone and direct our creative energies and how if we're pulling them in all these different directions, we just diminish our own our own power, right? So I understand a lot more about that now, but at the time how I understood it was just like, there's just not enough of me to go around. Like I can't be the mom I want to be and the business owner I want to be and like connect with women the way I want to. I just can't. Yeah. And so that propelled me. I'm kind of a slow mover and I, and it was really important to me to, you know, to, um, to, extract myself from that situation in a, in a way that was supportive to my business partners. Um, but I decided, you know, I'm just not, I'm not going to do real estate anymore. And I'm just going to focus on this work with women. And I didn't even really know what that meant at the time. Like I'd been mm-hmm. supporting women and, and, you know, working with women, but pretty informally Yeah. and, and, you know, and still on this healing journey myself. Um, at the time that I quit real estate, I was pregnant with my daughter, Etni. And so still like, you know, moving towards that experience of like, what's it going to be like to give birth again? Um, you know, knowing all of the, all the things I had experienced. Um, and so, you know, this is like all, all happening, you know, it's all at the same time. And after Etni was born, um, I started working more specifically with women around trusting their bodies again after loss and really taking women through a journey of, of doing that and of preparing for birth after loss. Um, and that felt really good and was, and was just a, a really beautiful way to even process my own experience and, um, and to distill like what that experience was into, into something that could be shared with and be impactful to other women. Um, and then as that work evolved, it really became about like supporting women through transitions, right? Because I started to realize that grief and loss and trauma are not unique to pregnancy loss, that all women have experienced these things. And I have experienced them throughout my life, you know, long before I'd ever had a a pregnancy loss. And I actually had three pregnancy losses. Um, and so really starting to see like how this is all connected and how, we have these these experiences throughout of our throughout our lives of trauma of grief most of us are are you know compartmentalizing those things packing them up putting them on the shelf and never actually processing them never releasing them 
And, you know, so the more my own experience of healing happened and realizing that healing is so, so um, inseparable from release. And, and we can mm-hmm. talk more about that. Um, mm-hmm. The nervous system is such an essential part of healing. And, and realizing that I really just wanted to support women with that work, whether it's, you know, pregnancy loss or, you know, uh, sexual trauma or, you know, whatever that is, all of these things get actually stored in our systems if we're not releasing them. And so that has, that has, um, you know, moved me and, and I've over the last couple of years done a number of different trainings around, um, you know, coaching and, um, transformational facilitation and, the nervous system. And, um, now I'm becoming an herbalist. Like there's just kind of all these different ways that I'm, I'm bringing in to support women in, um, in really realizing what their own journeys are, connecting them back to themselves and, and really specifically looking at how our wombs are the center of, of our experiences of the world. Um, and that's not, that's not specific to motherhood or childbirth or childbearing. Um, that's Mm -hmm. true of women in general. Yeah. So that's been like the, the, you know, what now feels sort of like the apex of my journey and really where my focus is now is on supporting women through, um, the journey of healing, womb healing, um, cycle awareness and cyclical living and feminine potential, realizing that our feminine, um, our feminine center is actually not a limitation as we experience it in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead the source of our greatest potential. Yes. Oh, yes. And I, I want to like go that direction, but I'm going to just pull us back to cyclical living and talking yes. about moon cycles. So this is something that is a little bit, I feel like it's very old, but I feel like it's getting a different I think with the with the rise of social media, especially yeah. I notice it on Instagram a lot. Mm-hmm. There is a huge awareness of moon cycle and how that affects our bodies and how practices like seed cycling and you know, even cycling your your work, your career yes. with your own body's natural rhythms, how mm. that can be so life-changing. And so and so life-giving. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so healing, especially if you've had a history of distrust with your body, whether that right. is, you know, having an irregular cycle or no cycle or struggling with, you know, chronic illness or just inflammation, just the ways that our body lets us know that all is not well yes. and how we can come back to that harmony. I don't like the word balance at all, but I love no. the word harmony because I feel yeah. like that and the the just the, the way that our body does crave that cycle. Tell us, like, I'm going to shut up because I don't know enough about this. Tell well, us. you, I, I love it. <laughs> you know, lots. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, is when I work with women, you know, some, some have, like you said, been exposed to kind of the you know, the Instagram world of, of talking about this. And so there's some level of awareness, but at, at the end of the day, most women are like, what this, this is what my potential is. Like, this is what's possible. And I haven't, I think people feel angry. They feel angry that none of this has been, they've been, they haven't been exposed to it. It hasn't been something that has been part of their experience. Most of us have grown up with shame and disconnection and feelings of limitation around our femininity, around our cycles. Most of us had 
if not traumatic, you know, pretty awkward and uncomfortable experiences of early first and early menstruation, you know, the, the ways that we were, um, the ways our mothers or other women in our lives communicated to us about those things or didn't, right. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to bleed now. And that means you can get pregnant. Most of us, that's kind of the, 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 the best that we got. Yeah. And so why, why would you want that? Like, what would be good about that? If you can bleed now and you can get pregnant, that's a terrible, that's a terrible thing. Like that's not an upgrade. Right. <laughs> right. And so, so, you know, my work is really helping women see how much more is going on than that and how, mm. how our cycles are actually an upgrade. Right. Mm-hmm. From, you know, if we think of young women and how they can anticipate their transition to womanhood, um, and, and really like, understand that they are going to access an aspect of their being that is it's like unlocking a new level in a video game you know yeah or like a new special <laughs> skill you're like you know now you oh, now you can yeah, <laughs> now you, it's just so good um so yeah i think you know with with um it starts it starts with our own awareness of of our own being right and ultimately that's something that to drop into that, it's not like, you know, it's not like you can listen to this and just be like, Oh, I'm going to be like aware of what's happening in my body. Now there's so much that's Mm -hmm. surrounding that. And there's so much that we've experienced over the years. There's so many beliefs. There's so much, um, you know, trauma. There's so much that women really, it's not like you can just, this is not an intellectual process. I'll, I'll, I'll summarize by saying, you know, what, what we're describing is not an intellectual process. Um, certainly there are ways that we integrate our intellect into this and it's a very, you know, it's also a very scientific process, but the experience of it is not intellectual, right? So, so healing in general is something that, um, is so layered and it's so non-linear, right? We tend to think of our lives in this very linear way. And that's part of how being in tune with our cycle really supports us. It allows us to step outside of that linear perspective and see that we're actually spiraling through life. And we're, we're both constantly changing and constantly coming back to the same place, right? And we get to be aware of both what was, what is, and what is to come, right? And seeing, seeing the end as a beginning, seeing the beginning as an end, um, and that's really at the heart of, of cyclical awareness and cyclical living. And that's why when, you know, when you hear people talk about moon cycle or moon time or, you know, any, anything relating to the moon, the reason that that's, the reason that that is um, prevalent is because like you mentioned, this is both something old and something that is kind of getting a little bit of a facelift, <laughs> you know, through <laughs> like just basically social media. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is that culturally, in every single, you know, indigenous um, tradition around the world, human beings, not just women, human beings have lived in synchronicity with the natural world around them, right? The light sources of the sun and the moon, um, awareness of, you know, the seasons and how we integrate with them, awareness of how, you know, the, the moving of the planets affects our, like our bodies, our, our planet, all of these things. Um, and so the moon offers us both this connection to kind of the ancientness of this awareness, and also it offers us a guide to seeing how our lives are kind of constantly in this cyclical motion, right? The moon is, is one of the most 
um, obvious examples of that in our lives. We, we see each month how the moon changes, how it cycles, how it has an effect on, um, on the world, you know, on space around us and this earth, right? So um, on a really, really basic, just physiological level, um, you know, we know that the moon has an effect on the tides of the ocean, right? The moon also affects every body, water on earth, just in more subtle ways than the ocean. Um, every, you know, lake, every river, that's all affected by, by the gravitational pull of the moon and, and where it's placed, you know, where, where, what its relationship to the earth is and, and the, um, how its gravitational pull changes. So if we think of our bodies, there's, you know, there's some variation, but our bodies are, you know, around 60 to 70% water. Mm-hmm. And so the effect of the moon on our bodies is actually also really, really interesting. And if you look at, you know, in, in our modern culture, um, where we're pretty disconnected from being aware of that rhythm and where we rarely are, are accessing or being exposed to moonlight as a, as a, you know, light source. And we're mostly using artificial light sources. Um, most women, you know, or many women are experiencing their menstrual cycle just kind of at random times of the month. But if you even now go to places where women are, you know, not exposed to any or much artificial light sources and, and live in connection with nature and with the cycle of the moon, um, most women bleed in harmony with the cycle of the moon. So we see how like this effect of the moon is, is really powerful on our bodies. Um, and, and it's the kind of thing like I, so I've worked with women who have, you know, experienced their menstruation just at, you know, some random time of the month. And over the course of two months of, you know, a a daily practice of going outside at night without any, you know, without their phone, without any artificial light source where they're just spending time under the moon, whether, whether or not the moon is even visible to them, that's not even the point their cycle actually shifts into, into synchronicity with the cycle of the moon. It's really, really powerful. Wow. That's amazing. It's amazing. That it just, it's something that we're so cut off from and so disconnected from not just nature itself, but also from our own bodies and being able to listen and identify what's happening throughout the month. And I love that you can, you know, start to shift that with something as simple as going outside of your house. Yeah. <laughs> like mind blown, right? Like yeah. not in a car, not in a restaurant, but like go sit on your back porch. Yeah. Like with a cup of tea or just, you know, have your bare feet in the grass mm-hmm. and breathe and connecting ground. I just... yeah. It's just, it never ceases to blow my mind how simple it all is. It's, it's so simple. It's so simple. And that's one of the things that I really focus on in my work with women as well. And this is like so applicable to mothers because, you know, mothers have, have very little time, you know, I mean, especially if you're a working mom, like you are just, you're at max, right? And so in, in our modern Western culture, we really have bought into this idea that self-care, and I'm, if, I don't know if this is going to be a video, but, you know, air quotes, air quotes. Self-care, self-care looks like 
going to the spa or like a weekend away with girls and not to, not to diminish the awesomeness of those things and do those things when you have the opportunity. But if you are relying on experiences like that to be able to reconnect with yourself and replenish yourself, then I'm sorry, but you are going to be like overextended and you are going to suffer. (laughs) You're you're just going to suffer. Self-care. Yeah. And so like, you know, discovering and cultivating practices that nourish you in a moment, right? Like you just said, like Mm -hmm. going outside after the kids go to bed with a cup of tea on your back porch and sitting under the moonlight. um, That's not something that costs you anything. It's something that, you know, you can easily, easily connect with that. I, I try to like really work with my clients on like 30 second, like restoration practices, because sometimes that's all you get. Like your kids have been pulling on your legs all day long and you have 30 seconds in the bathroom and that's it. Right. If that, if that. And so this is another beautiful aspect of cyclical awareness is that we realize that we are actually self restoring beings. Our entire system is designed to replenish itself, right? To let go of what is no longer needed and to to nourish what is new. And so when we see ourselves this way, we realize that every moment is an opportunity to connect with where we are at and to realize that like, yeah, a weekend away would be nice, but I'm going to take three deep breaths right now. And I'm going to trust that like this moment is, is actually this, this is enough, not, you know, enough is, is, is a challenging word, but like, this is, this is what I need Mm -hmm. in this moment. And this is what I can do in this moment. Right. And then we also get to connect with how we can talk about sort of the inner seasons and how, how that works. Um, but we get to connect with how, you know, maybe we feel really like dry and, um, like inward and, and kind of like, grumpy, um, which can be really frustrating if you're, you know, if you have little children or if you have a big week at work and you just have to get a lot done. Um, and if, and if you see that way, like if, if you are connecting with the way you feel as, as like, this is just how it is and this is how it's going to be, Mm -hmm. that's really defeating. Whereas if you see that, I, this is how I feel right now. And I'm going to be present with that. And I'm also going to acknowledge that I'm going to move through this right? Something else is coming. Something else is going to move through me. Then it's, then you get to surrender to what might be actually not that great of a moment, but also like the anticipation of, of that shifting of that relief. Right. Yes. And I love that you're talking about letting just that discomfort take up a little bit of space instead of like poo-pooing or shooing or trying to dismiss it, but just like Oh yeah, this is, I'm aware of where I'm at. I'm aware of this, like you said, I love the word, just dry, this inward kind of, not to use the word constipated, but a little bit of just- Yeah, that's a good word. Things are kind of stagnant and stuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're so quick to try to fix it and Mm -hmm. to solve it and to move it along. But it's like, that's sitting in that is, is really important. And it's a big part of the process of, of becoming aware, because if you're not aware of what is happening for you, how on earth are you supposed to change it? Yeah. And you're, it's this like 
futile cycle that we get stuck in. But I love that you're bringing focus to like, let that be a thing. And then as that's a thing, as that's a discomfort that you're experiencing, how can you Mm self-soothe in that 30 seconds or in that that you have? What practices can you engage that, you know, such as like tapping, breathing, you know, self-like massage, or even just like using your body to self mm-hmm. So, oh, I love yeah. it. I love it. So good. It is. Hey, so, so we, I want to talk to you for days, but we're running out of time. And I really want to touch on something that we talked about before we hit record. Mm-hmm. And that was how cyclical living can also impact your career yes. and your work that you're putting mm-hmm. out into the world which maybe you get paid for it, maybe you don't, but how even you're showing up in your life and how your cycle impacts that. Can you tell us more? Totally. That's like, I I love to talk about this maybe more than anything. It's been very impactful to me, to my creative work, to my profession. Um, And in my coaching practice, a lot of my, a lot of my clients, that's the work they want to do. They want to understand how can I how can I level up? Like, how can I, you know, cause we're surrounded by all this messaging, right? Like hustle and heart and, you know, like drive and, um, you know, all of these things that are lean in. That's like probably the perfect example. Right? How can you lean in? How can you like, you know, be all you can be all of these things. And I don't want to, I don't want to demonize any of that language. And yet the beauty of cyclical awareness is that we get to harness the really specific and potent energies of our cycle and use them to enhance and to, um, to really amplify the work that we want to do in the world. And so the, the concept to understand here is this idea of inner seasons. And so throughout the menstrual cycle, we have these four distinct physiological phases that are happening. And um, how much time do we have here? How much time do you have? I have time. I'm good. <laughs> okay, let's do, I have like maybe 15 more minutes. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay. So, so in the, you know, in the physiological menstrual cycle, we have um, these, these distinct phases where there's all of these things happening hormonally that aid and facilitate, you know, contraception. And then if we don't conceive, um, not contraception, conception, the opposite. I was like, right. Fact check. Hang on. Fact check. (laughs) We were talking about that before the show. Um, So definitely don't fact check that. Um, so the aid in conception, and then if we don't conceive that um, aid in the process of shedding, you know, that everything that built up for that so that we can go again. And um, I won't focus on those physiological um, phases because that will, we will go over 15 minutes if we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are these really distinct creative energies that, that occur within each of those um, physiological phases. And each of them has their own gift and their own mm. potency and their own focus. Um, and when you apply this awareness to your, you know, your creative practice or your business or, you know, your whatever it is that you're building, growing, working in the world, um, you get to you get to really align with where you're at in your cycle. And we can also talk a little bit about how this is applicable, even if you don't menstruate because that's a big thing. You know, many women don't for some reason. Maybe it's because they, um, you know, are taking a form of birth control or other medication that prevents that, or maybe they are pregnant, or maybe they've been breastfeeding on and off for the last five years. You know, there's lots of reasons that women don't menstruate. So we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that at the end as well. Um, 
but these inner seasons correlate with these phases of our menstrual cycle um, and also with the cycle of the moon. So ah, that's, it's twist. all connected. I know, plot twist, it's all connected in a beautiful, beautiful way. Um, so, so let's just talk a little bit about these seasons. So the, um, the season that correlates with um, the first phase of the menstrual cycle, which is the follicular phase, um, after we're finished bleeding and before we ovulate, it, and that's about six to 10 days for women, depending on, you know, a few different factors. Um, this is, this is what I call the productive phase. It's our inner spring. Okay. So imagine, imagine spring. It's like fertile and everything's growing so quickly. And it's like, you know, one, you know, one day there was not a flower there. And the next day it's this like, you know, overflowing, like it took over your garden and, you know, it's just, it's just going crazy. Um, there's this exponential, exponential quality to the growth that's happening. Hmm. And creatively, so the whole cycle is a creative cycle. If you think about what's happening on a physical level, um, where the whole cycle, even though you know ovulation is when we conceive, the whole cycle is is designed for that possibility, right? That potential. Okay. Um, so on a creative level, the whole cycle is a creative cycle, and then there's these different distinctions that that we get to align with. So the energy of spring is productive. It's a great time for um, like hammering out your to-do list. It's a great time for, um, you know, brainstorming projects, planning things. This is when I plan out like all my social media for the month. This is when I, um, take on, you know, like a new, something new, like aligning with that energy of newness of like, of like, Oh, a, a new idea. Right. And, and fleshing that out, not necessarily acting on it yet, but really kind of like, like sitting with it and brainstorming and, and like bringing in, you know, the, the edges of it. Um, so it's, and it's a great time to be really active. And, um, you know, if you like, if you're thinking about movement in your body, it's a great time to do something that's stimulating. That's something that's, um, that's really outward and active. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then, then after inner spring, we move into inner summer, which correlates with ovulation and ovulation is, you know, three to four days, um, that, that period. And this is the, this is the expressive phase. Okay. So it's the phase where we are really social. We're kind of flirty. We're sensual. Think of summer, right? It's warm. It's fun. It's flirtatious. It's all of these things, right? So just imagine that same energy happening inside of your body. This is when many women, you know, experience a lot of sexual desire. It's when a lot of women feel um, really really social. Like, you know, they want to hang out, they want to have people over, they want to do these things. So thinking about your creativity, thinking about your work, for me, this is when I plan, you know, most of my, um, like if I'm going to do a webinar or something like that, I plan it for around ovulation, hmm. late, late spring or summer. Um, and I'm not going to go past that. That's like my deadline. <laughs> not going past, <laughs> not going past summer. Um, it's when I, it's when I schedule the majority of like the podcasts or things like that, that I'm going to, cause I have a podcast as well. And so I'll schedule most of my guests for like around that time. Um, it's, you know, if I'm going to host an event or something like that, I'll, I'll schedule it around that time. It's a great time for relational creativity. So if you've got a, you know, an issue with a coworker or with a boss or with your partner and, and it's been kind of languishing and you just haven't really been able to figure out how we're going to get through this, how we're going to like figure out how to be with each other in this. This is a great time for relational creativity, for brainstorming. Like, how can we like 
how can we communicate better about this? Think of that expression, like the expressive phase, it's communication. It's, um, it's like, it's sharing, it's warmth, it's connection, it's all of those things. Right. And that's happening on the physical level in our bodies too. We're ovulating where our body's saying like, come to me. <laughs> it's a great time for asking for what you want. Yes. So for, for career, like this is the time if you want to ask for an, you know, if you want to like pitch to a client or ask for a raise or like, you know, whatever it is, this is the time. Like you are energetically calling things in, in this time, mm. on a, like on a hormonal level, the pheromones that women produce during ovulation, we don't, we don't interact with this in our culture now, but it's still happening. Women are extra attractive when they're ovulating. They are. It's true. It's, it's true. Amazing. And there's you feel science it. Science to You're back like, that up. Too. Yes. You know, like you just feel it. Yeah. There's, there's totally, there's totally um, research and studies that, mm-hmm. that show that. Um, so that's the great thing about this whole, this whole way of, it's not like, you know, some woo woo out there thing. This is a very, very intricate and physiological process that's being supported energetically throughout our whole being. So we move out of summer into inner fall and inner fall is the intuitive phase. So we move into what, you know, I call the, the dark and not just I people call the dark um, half of the cycle, the site, the part of the cycle where, you know, most people have had a lot of negative experiences and feelings around, you know, this is when women experience PMS. This is when, um, you know, people feel like inward, but they're constantly like still having to maintain all of the things in their lives and, you know, all the expectations. Um, it's, you know, it's when people get called bitches. It's like, it's not, you know, it's not the time of the cycle that we're elevating or praising, right? We praise inner summer and inner spring. Those Im- we embody qualities in inner summer and inner spring, some which are considered masculine again, air quotes. Um, and then some which are considered feminine, but like positively regarded feminine traits like hospitality or sensuality. Those are great examples. So we move into the dark part of the cycle that's, that's more um, characterized by like an inward focus, right? A reflectiveness, a, um, an intuitiveness. And these aren't things that the, the world values around us. So most of us are like, shit, this sucks. And yeah. here's, here's the clincher. Inner fall is the longest part of every, almost, I shouldn't say every, for the majority of women, inner fall is the longest part of the cycle, mm-hmm. 10 to 14 days. Yeah. So if we're not optimizing for that, like, I don't even know what to say about that. That's right? terrible. Yeah. Right? Like, the longest part of our yeah. cycle is just this part where just like, oh, this is icky and sticky. And I'm like, just like, feel like I'm out of sync with myself and out of sync with the world. And I don't know what to do about it. And I'm going to experience that every single month. Oh, hell no. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, I did it for 25 years. So also everyone's just doing it, you know? Yeah, totally. But you don't, but you don't have to do it. That's what I'm here to say. Mm, <laughs> so it. inner fall is this great time for connecting with your intuitive self. It's a great time for writing projects. It's a great time for um, evaluating what's working, what's not. Think about a farmer in the fall. He's like, well, that, you know, we didn't plant early enough and now the harvest is poor you know, so he's like planning for what he's going to do differently next season. So it's this great time to evaluate, to reflect, to see what are, what is the fruit of your life? What is the fruit of your work? How, how are you showing up? And is that how you want to show up? Right. So that it's like, it's, it's my favorite now. It's my favorite. 
And even when it's prickly, it's still my favorite because I get to like, I get to take all this culmination, right? I get to bring it in. I get to harvest it. I get to experience it and I get to go in and I, and I make the space to allow for that. And if I don't, I pay for it. Mm. (laughs) Here's one of the things about cyclical awareness is that your tolerance goes down and that sounds like bad news, but it's good news. Um, And what I mean by that is that most of us live in this state in our culture where we are always on and we're always keeping it more or less together, right? Mm-hmm. Always like hiding how we're feeling. We're always diminishing how we feel even to ourselves. Okay. Yep. And so what ends up happening is that when we, when we flip the script and when we, when we become aware of what's actually happening for us, we actually can't tolerate it anymore. Like we can't tolerate being outward when we feel inward. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and yeah, the truth is, is totally. sometimes we, we have to do those things. Like, it's not like you can say, I'm honey, I'm in inner fall. I can't take this, this to school for the next two weeks. Right. Like there's stuff we do, but then we also set ourselves up to really, really replenish ourselves and to, and to like put boundaries around what that energy is of that season so that we can be optimized for that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that then when we do have to do some of the things that maybe aren't the most ideal for that particular um, phase we have what we need to do them. And then we go back within. Yes. Oh, yes. And so much of this makes so much sense because that's the luteal phase, right? Yeah. That's the luteal phase. Yeah. This one, and just, you know, because there's no such thing as TMI on this podcast. No. And definitely not with me. Right. For 20 years, my, my luteal phase has been anywhere from 10 to like, 60 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it has been interesting to do this work and to look at how these different cycles can affect us and can affect our relationships and our work and our energy and how we feel about ourselves. And understanding that and correcting that has been like the biggest shift and game changer that, I mean, I could even imagine. So yeah. I love that we're talking about this and I'm just Me too. Busy taking notes over here. I love it. I love it. Me too. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. No. <laughs> um, well, so I don't know if I was going to say anything more about inner fall. Um, wow. You were saying it was your favorite. It's my favorite because, yeah. well, I don't know. It might not be. It's my second favorite. <laughs> Forgive me. It's my second favorite because after inner fall becomes inner winter. And here's the thing. If you're from, especially if you're from somewhere like I'm from where it gets to, I've experienced 59 below in my childhood in Northern Canada. So winter is something you dread, right? Mm -hmm. And inner winter is menstruation. This is when we bleed. And I don't know a woman who even like even like embodied women who are are you know working really hard to to be connected to themselves and to love their bodies it's like who is looking forward to bleeding and maybe having cramping or even for some women severe pain right yeah. um so this is inner winter it's the season that it's like what is this even for like why do we need the winter right <laughs> it's not have the winter Well, if you don't have the winter, you know, I live in San Diego now and it's like, if you don't have the winter, I mean, there's like not really a spring. Spring is just like, here, I have a flower for you. (laughs) Like, 
It's yeah. one. There's one of me. <laughs> Aren't yeah. they beautiful? Where I'm from, like when spring happens, and like you know, you live in Portland, right? And and maybe maybe there's not snow all winter, but there's a winter. When spring comes, it's like, oh hell yeah, like yes, on fire, right? So so this is what we get to align with with the power of winter is that without the winter, there would be no spring. Yeah, and the power of winter is so inner winter is the restorative phase. That's what I call it. Mm. It's really this, it's, it's in some ways a continuation of inner fall. We're going inward, right? Um, it's still an intuitive time. We're still in that dark part of the cycle where the veil is thin between the conscious and the unconscious. And that's actually a scientific thing as well. The um, membrane between the right and left sides of our brains is actually thinner during um, the last part of the luteal phase and the early part of the menstrual phase. Um, so inner fall and inner winter. And so we actually have greater access to our, uh, to our unconscious mind and to our intuition during this time. Um, so it's this beautiful time to just continue to be with what you've been reflecting on and, and what's coming through. And then what really happens in, in winter is, the, is this energy of release, mm. this energy of letting go, of surrender. And that's what's happening in our bodies. Our body is saying, we no longer need this. And we are making room for what is new. Mm-hmm. We're going to let go and make room for what is new. And so creatively and energetically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, I mean, this is why this is my favorite time of the cycle. And a big part of what I'm doing during inner fall is really reflecting on what I need to let go of in inner winter. And, and this is truly the most powerful thing I have experienced is, and I mentioned the nervous system earlier, but our nervous systems know how to heal and they actually know how to let go of energy and know how to let go of trauma. We just don't, we're not connected to that system and to that ability, mm-hmm. generally speaking, anymore. Um, when we align with the power of our cycle to do that, we activate this really powerful ability in our nervous systems. And I have let go of stuff that I have been like, you know, years of therapy, years of every, you know, like you name it, I've done it. And mm-hmm. it's like gone in a cycle. It's so, so, so powerful. And the crazy thing is, is that, and this happens to my clients all the time, when they start doing this, their blood changes, right? They actually start shedding even in their body more efficiently. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It's so crazy. Ah, I I love it. You know, we were going to talk about bleeding on this show. (laughs) Yay. Welcome to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. Today we're talking about your period. Yes, but we're not calling it a period. We're going to call it something different. And what can we call it? Well, so, you know, like, I hope that as you're listening to this, you're really connecting to the beauty of this whole cycle, right? And how it has implications far beyond procreation. And how it can serve you well beyond, you know, if you are a mother and you're maybe done having kids or, or still in that season in some way, knowing that like when I'm done having kids, this is not just going to be some useless part of me that now I have to just suffer with till menopause. And then I have to suffer with different things at menopause, like instead realizing that this is actually the source of my creative potential. And if I can align with this, everything, everything will shift. Um, so ultimately, when you, when you have that awareness, you tend to naturally move away from, from language that kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like really, issues. yeah, or like um, 
perpetuates, you know, the, the, the feeling of limitation that we experience in our culture around our cycle, right. Around our, our blood in particular. Um, and I could just like talk about this forever, but I'm just going to say this when we reframe that. And when we, and when we bring language in that actually isn't empowering and connects us to our cycle in a way that, that we see it as a gift and not a limitation, um, it, our language is so powerful. So it has a really big, yeah. a really big impact on our ability to, to do that reframing. So you know, and you can call whatever you want. There's no, you know, and you can experience whatever you want throughout this. Not everyone experiences inner spring is super productive. The point is that you are aware of what's going on within you, mm-hmm. you're able to see those patterns and you're able to align with what's really there for you. Right. So that's the important thing. And, and what I hope people take away is not like, if you aren't social during ovulation, you're, you know, something's wrong with you. That's not the point at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, if we th- come back to this idea of the moon and, and, you know, following and, and looking to the moon as a guide um, for the cyclical awareness, um, then because, and there's not time to get into this today, but our cycles also align with the cycles of the moon. So, you know, many people, and I call the menstrual cycle, the moon cycle. And I, when I'm bleeding, I call it my moon time. And, and for me, that's a way of, of, of showing reverence for what this cycle is. Mm. And with my very language, um, enforcing, reinforcing that connection to both my inner seasons and the seasons of the world around me and the cycles of the world around me. And so it's just this little anchor, right? It's, it's just a little, like little anchor that says like, oh yes, cause I might, and you know, it's not like this awareness means you never feel bad. Like it's not, it's actually the opposite. Like sometimes you're like, oh, but I know I will move through this. Right. And so these little anchors remind us of how we're connected to ourselves and to the, to the world around us. Um, so I encourage you, even if moon time or moon cycle feels a little too, like I'm not there yet, um, to find a way of thinking about your cycle and even talking about your cycle, um, without using the, the really derogatory language that, that we've used in our culture around our blood. That's the reality of it. Like, um, you know, the, I'm on the rag. Like, I mean, does anybody really say that though? Yeah. People do say do that. They say that. I don't yeah. think I've ever once in my life uttered that phrase. I've heard it before, yeah. but huh. yeah. And a lot of people like, you know, will will name it after, you know, they're in, a, you know, an aunt or whatever. And it's ant flow. And I mean, that doesn't have to be derogatory. People can, people can use that, um, humorously or, but, but even so it's still like, it's still this intruder, right? Like aunt flows in town, right? Like can't wait till she leaves, (laughs) you know, like even if you like your aunt flow, you're still kind of like, Oh, I hope you're, how long are you here? (laughs) You know, (laughs) but still, it's, it's still reinforcing. Even if, even if we haven't like consciously, you know, chosen a name that's really negative, we're still reinforcing these ways of seeing our cycle as, as a limitation, as an intruder as something that we want to transcend. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And even when, like a few minutes ago, when I said period, even just in our time together, it was like, oh, nope, that doesn't Mm. fit anymore. Yeah. Like I'm already ready to like leave that behind and to pick up just like, you know, moon time or just like viewing it in a different way, like an anchor. I love that. Just like something that keeps you so connected to yourself and to the earth and to potential and Mm -hmm. 
just this. I, I just love it all. And I feel like that, the anchor, it's just like that. That's yep. the one that hits yeah. right there. I love that. Yeah. My gosh. Okay. Well, obviously we can just keep going and going and going. Obviously. But, <laughs> I could go forever. We can do another episode. Yes. If, if, if the people listening like this, <laughs> you can check in after. If people love it, then, then I'll come back and we'll talk more because there's just so much more. I'm doing I mean, a happy dance. I would love yeah. that because I know that this is just like, this is like a fraction of all of the wisdom and the experience and the teaching and all of the, the beauty and wonder that you represent. And I know that this is just a teeny tiny little sliver of what you are up to in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so where can people find you in the internet webs to learn more about what you're yeah. doing? So you can find me on the internet webs at motherbirth.co on Instagram, or my website is also just www.motherbirth.co. I also just launched this month a um, new collaborative project. Um, can I talk about it really quick? Yes, please. Okay. Well, it's I'm very applicable I... to our conversation. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's an immersive group program that starts on September 3rd. It's for women who have daughters, and it is a um, it's a group where we are going to be reclaiming the sacred power of our feminine cycles for ourselves and for our daughters. So this is relevant no matter what your daughter's age. This is not just for, you know, women who have like 11 year olds that they're like, oh shit, oh shit. It's for you too, for sure. Um, But it's no matter what your daughter's age, this is about bringing our daughters into this kind of cyclical awareness in such a way that they anticipate their transition to womanhood, that they know that it's going to be an upgrade. Um, and that they're connected both to their own selves as well as the cycles of the world around them. And so it's really going to be a a journey of healing and embodiment for women um, because so much of this is about us living this, right? We can't teach Mm -hmm. our daughters how to do this. We have to do this. We have to show up this way so that they, like, how are our daughters going to, I would, I did not want what my mother represented, you know, Uh, how would, how would our daughters want the the version of like, you're going to bleed and now you can get pregnant? Like who wants that? Right. Yeah. So it's about going way beyond the basics of sex education. We're going to talk about all of this stuff that we're talking about here in more detail. We're going to talk about um, the, uh, we're going to talk about healing through our maternal lineage. We're going to talk about archetypes for girls. We're going to talk about consent and how it's not just about sex. We're going to talk about building circles of support for ourselves and for our daughters. And we're going to talk about everyday ritual and integration. Um, so that starts September 3rd. It's an online um, group immersion. So it doesn't matter where you live. Um, we'll have weekly calls every Tuesday. And um, if you can't make it to all of them, that's fine. Um, I have early bird pricing through August 26th, and that is $199 for the group. So you can find all the information at moondaughters.com. I didn't even say the name. That's why it's called Moon Daughters. Now you know. You know because you listened to this episode. <laughs> We're all daughters of the moon. And, and so, yeah. The moondaughters.com and you'll see all the information there. Okay. Now I'm super, I'm not super sad that I have a son, but I'm kind of super sad. Yeah. That I have a son. Don't be super <laughs> like, sad. I want to be in this. That's amazing. Well, and, and down the road, there's going to be other components. This is the first, you know, iteration of this. Um, but there will be other components on the road. So stay tuned. Okay. Yeah, we will for sure. Well, Melissa, thank you so much much for sharing all of this incredible wisdom and insight in your story. You are a beautiful human being and I am so glad that we got to chat today. So thank you so much. I'm really, really honored to be here. Thanks, Kim. 
And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Captivatingly Confident. I am so excited that you're here and investing in yourself. If you want to learn more about Captivatingly Confident, you can visit my website, captivatinglyconfident.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at kim.ludeman. Thank you so much for hanging out today. If you would like to, I invite you to subscribe to the show and also to leave a rating and review on iTunes. Every single review.